Welcome to the Nonprofit Experience. I'm Sandy Sear, Managing Editor for the Philanthropy Journal. Thanks to a pilot program and changes in the latest farm bill, industrial hemp production is on the rise here in North Carolina and around the country. This week, Blake Butler, Executive Director of the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Association, and Malcolm Anderson, co-founder of Green Half of Farms, North Carolina's first Black-owned social equity hemp farm, sit down to discuss the impacts one plant can have on individuals, our communities, and our state. My name is Blake Butler. I'm the Executive Director of the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Association. And I am Malcolm Anderson, COO of Green Half of Farms. So I got started a long time ago in the hemp business, came in as an activist after I got a call from a friend and he was getting his energy drink taken off the shelves from a rogue sheriff in Cherokee County because it had CBD. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started organizing all those events. And that's where I met you. Yep. You came out to some of our events that we entitled Hemp X. We had no money, but you guys were out there wondering if this was an opportunity for you. So how did you get activated with that and what, what interests you about hemp? Well, for me, it was a personal story in hemp. Um, my, my uncle was sick. Um, he told me he got sick, so, you know, you start researching. Found out about Rick Simpson oil, mm-hmm. cannabis oil, full-spectrum cannabis oil, cures cancer anecdotally. I, I worked in a hospital, military hospital, for 20-plus years. I know what can be done, you know, and uh, chemo and radiation have a 97% fail rate. So, you know, if you got something that doesn't work 97% of times, I'm not betting on it. So, was he scared to take it when you introduced it? No, he wasn't scared to take it. Um, he said, "Hey, if I can get it, get it to me," you know. And he was like, "All for it." So, you know, I had uh, I grew some tomatoes in my uh, garage to get them to my uncle to get the oil, the Rick Simpson oil. You know, he passed away while they were growing, on crying on the bed. You know, with my wife, two in the morning. Um, I said, "When this plant comes legal." We gonna be there, you know, because nobody need to, to go through this stuff when, you know, you can heal yourself, you know, um, anecdotally. It's a powerful story. I remember the first event we held at a brewery in Asheville. We lost so much money. Yes. It, it was five years ago. We had to, you know, have it for free because no one would pay for something when it wasn't even legal right. in our state or surrounding states. And after the event was over, this couple walked up to me, and the woman was crying, and she said, you know, I had no idea we could get CBD oil for our child that had epilepsy. Right. And I looked at her and said, I had no idea either until we flew in this guy from Colorado to tell us how. Yeah, and it's real stories like that that make it real, uh, make, make hemp real, um, because it's real healing in it. And, um, you know, anecdotal story, uh, another one, my nephew... Uh, 17 years old, has seizures, two, three seizures a week. One of my sponsors for Hemp History Week, they sent us some CBD. I sent it to him. No seizures. I mean, he's a different, his mom called us and said he's a different kid, taking a little 10 milligrams a day. So when you hear that kind of stuff, and he, you know, he's got his confidence, like he had seizures all his life. And now I just sent him a bottle of CBD oil, and now he, he, he hadn't had a seizure in two months, and it's like, that's a powerful thing. And we know this. Right. And now other people are learning it. You can see CBD written up in AARP magazine. And it's everywhere. Even my parents in the beginning when I started this quest to try to legalize hemp in North Carolina thought I was nuts. Well, you, 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 it's like 
you know, I was in Hawaii, and when you get to go to Hawaii, you, you, you do local things, right? So you find yourself, you know, the first month out there, you out there way out in the ocean, mm-hmm. boogie board, not knowing how to surf, right? But you look crazy. But And there's a guy even further out than that. And that, when that guy catches that big wave, and that's what you did five years ago, and that's what we was on five years ago, waiting for that wave to come up. And that's where it's at now. Now it's just, we just on a surfboard, and we just getting our, our jumping up on the board and ready to walk, ride the wave of, of, of this hemp industry. I mean, and it took guys like you fighting um, and just putting a bug in people's ear. You know, that's how it starts. You know, conversation. Hey, this hemp is, you know, it does this. And I knew once uh, Sanjay Gupta turned uh, and he showed moms on TV, it was over. But it's going to take guys like us well, together to be sure the farmer can make it in this opportunity. Most definitely. Because before we even talk about the opportunities with CBD to help the small family farm or fiber or grain, two other areas we hadn't even explored, we've got to be sure that larger interests don't come in and big ag doesn't come in and ruin what we've started to help the rural communities. When those areas start getting empowered again, that's when we know hemp is worth. Because that's what this is about. We're getting ready to approve another 106 farmers on Monday. Right. So right. think about it that way. We're asking them to plant a new seed. Right. Guys like you and I have to write the blueprint. Right. Because that doesn't exist and in the southern states. In the southern states, right. But we all know that the southern states, I mean, from history, is where everything was grown at. Mm-hmm. Tobacco. Who grew the best tobacco? North Carolina farmers. So I'm betting on North Carolina farmers that once we get the opportunity to grow this crop uh, and and we, we, we teach them that it's not tobacco <laughs> and it's a different, you, 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 you listen to it differently um, and it requires different things, it, I have no, uh, you know, no, no problem saying that North Carolina is going to be a leader in this industry. I, I think, think we will, but we got to diversify. You got to know. We got to. Look at fiber, Most uh, because we have such a textile history in our DNA. Most I mean, definitely. NC State is a champion at mm-hmm. looking at sustainable textiles right. and you know, how we can use them in the future. And I just got back from Maiden, North Carolina, talking to the folks at Carolina Mills mm-hmm. about would you consider firing up your machines one day right. and running some hemp yarn through here. Right. Because it's going to take someone, one company, to put their toe in the water and then someone else is going to jump right in, and we're going to have to have two years of farmers growing fiber to make this work. But it's a powerful story yeah. because we used to make it work from textile mills to the community college to your farmer. Right. And we have the buildings. We have the areas that need it desperately. Right. But we just got the people to invest the capital. And in fiber and grain, as you know, Malcolm, the time. Right. It's not like CBD. Right. You can't get $25,000, $30,000 an acre on fiber. You can get $350 an acre if you're lucky. And right. that's producing 2.5 tons each acre. Right. But think about, you know, nothing is wasted on this planet. You know, when you say about empowering the farmer, the farmer has to know, you know, get educate. So how do you empower somebody? You, you give them the education that they need to become top flight businessmen. Because although, you know, we say, we, we, we belay the fears of big ag coming in and, and taking over, right? But Budweiser's there, and we still got a, a thousand craft beers in the triangle. Yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? Be, making money, being sustainable. So, you know, our focus is, you know, on a small farmer, but also 
it's going to be a market for that, that hemp fiber producer with those thousand acres, you know, um, and making it a, a good business decision for him, especially for remediation, you know. But do you think that brand is more powerful that if Malcolm goes out there with his own CBD oil and the farmer Tim miles down the road goes out there with his own CBD oil and you say mine is better than yours or you co-op together and you say this is from 10 farmers from Wake County. See, that's what I'm thinking in that, pockets because we can't all produce a CBD oil right. in and, this and, fragmented market. So what's the best thing to do? Is to create a network of farmers so that, you know, especially in hemp, historically, they've been farmers, great growers, but not, not necessarily keen on the business side. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's about educating the farmer on what's out there available for him and giving them the best options and saying, hey, you can grow this and make this amount or you can do, you know, so you giving them the options on what's available in the hemp industry. But if we follow the, the path of the farm bill as it reclassified as an agricultural commodity, hemp should be like corn and CBD should be like corn syrup. Most definitely. Two separate agricultural commodities deschedulize, which right. is a beautiful thing because we used to spend a lot of time, as you know, with the DEA cases and everything right. else. The data that's coming back is interesting because I learned after this past harvest, and I knew this, but farmers are so prideful, mm-hmm. and those that lost don't want to talk about it. Yeah. They're still in the game. Yeah. But last year was rough with Florence and Michael. I mean, it sat here. And we probably had 50 to 55 farmers with plants still in the ground. Mm-hmm. We couldn't hire enough volunteers to get them out in 16 hours. I heard the stories this morning, too, from farmers from wheat and you know, just all tobacco. And right. Commissioner Troxler said, this year alone, we'll harvest the few, fewest acres of tobacco since World War II. So that tells you what's happening, that transition. Right. And thus, you see the numbers of applications on the, for the Hemp Commission last time. Application numbers have jumped like 600. Mm-hmm. You think that's a bad thing we're approving all these people? No, it's a good thing. How about this? Let me put it a different way because this is what I'm charged with every day. Do you think it's a, a, a risky thing to approve all these people without some sort of guidance on how to make it work? Well, we, we do have some guidance. Our, our guidance is whether you're going to intent to market or intent to, to, to research. Um, and but all these people growing for CBD, they're not going to hook up with processes, as you and I both know. So I'm worried that, you know, 30, 35% of them, if we don't, and you said it early, teach them how to be professional, have a plan, approach it like any other business, and find a buyer mm-hmm. before you plant. I tell all my guys, like, hey, you're an heirloom tomato grower. Right. Why in the world would you plant something that's specialized without some sort of buyer being with you along the way? Be sure you hit the mark. Yeah. Or if you have a plan to go vertical. Are you, are you guys going vertical? Completely. Completely vertical. We want to be a, a seed to oil operation um and and not so much as as retail stores but just white labeling you know and producing the oil um we have a network of farmers that we're working with that we you know it takes something growing so uh a network of farmers put together with a network of growers that we have um i got a, a couple guys that we're going to be consultants with other farms to help them grow um and help them get in the field so you know it's a learning process first and foremost our model is just like everybody else's we start small Right, you small a small acreage, and then you expand until you know how to grow this plant because it's finicky, you know, and it, it reacts different in, in different soil types. Land yeah. is available. It definitely is, and and the part of uh, my story that I've never told you is, after a couple of years, I was worried that I didn't know how to grow. So I drove up to Kentucky and spent a, a week on a hemp farm with Mike Lewis, 
and it was hard, and I got my eyes open to the reality of how much labor-intensive it was. And when I uh, was driving back to Asheville, I thought to myself, you know, I need to find someone outside of Asheville that will plant hemp. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went back and talked to my wife, and she said, there's this farmer that comes in and works out with me at 6.30 in the morning. She's loud, and she mm-hmm. runs around. Her name, is, her name is Franny. So I called Franny, and you know, sure enough, I drove out there, and I said, Franny, I want you to plant some hemp. I'll help you. You'll be the first female farmer in North Carolina to plant. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yes. And Jeff, her husband, was like, no. Because, you know, that messaging was still off them. Yeah. And they had summer camps and weddings. Mm-hmm. What turned out to be as great as fear is that people wouldn't get married out there anymore. It now they love it. Now they love it. Right? <laughs> I want to get married in front of a hemp field. Right. So it's interesting how the messaging has worked in our favor, really. Right. Naturally, come yeah. to us where we used to fight for that, and now more people are asking me engaging questions right. that I'm sure you're hearing too. It's the age of information. Now that we know that hemp was banned on a whole bunch of propaganda, mm-hmm. right? For 80 plus years. It's a little reefer madness. In the right, reefer madness. It's going to make you go crazy, right? But uh, say when you see a documentary where, where a mother gives her daughter or her son, you know, drops of oil under the tongue and they stop seizing. I mean, that's real stuff, you know. And I think one of the things that we that, that's changing the message of, of hemp and cannabis at, on, on a whole is the moral authority, right? So we've tried all the drugs in for epilepsy. But that's cannabis derived, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to go back to the plant to actually heal something, mm-hmm. you know. So the plant's going when this plant is planted across the country, it's going to change minds and change lives and and do positive things. I think. But you bring up an imp- important point, and I make this all the time as I speak around the state, as I say, farm is not spelled with a ph no it's spelled with an f, f. right Most definitely. and that's what we have to put on a pedestal here right. because we're giving farmers these licenses to grow again and you know as much as i see you know what the pharmaceutical companies are doing right now and see that patent on the thc side and know that it's coming on the cbd side you know to make cbd synthetically one day and not need the farmer at all well, they tried that with Marinol. They tried it with Marinol. Right. So, so there's got to be a play or a thinking there, and that's what you and right. I at least have to tell the American story. Because those guys across the pond, yeah. they are definitely into the pill. They're well, not most, into the most plant. Definitely. I mean, I, I've seen GW when they first were, were in the cannabis space and doing the oil. You know, when you go to YouTube University and when you're researching all the stuff, it was all about the cannabis space before it was the hemp space. And now that the qualities of hemp, have been descheduled, you know, which is major to get the stigma off because, you know, even last year, you know, when I was talking to people about uh, investing and in, in, in helping us get our farm up and running, you know, it was like, what? That stuff ain't legal yet, you know, and then with the farm bill, uh, the 2018 farm bill, that's not a problem anymore. And it's all about, you know, education and getting the education about the plant out right and letting farmers know hey what you did in tobacco you can do in hemp in multiple varieties i know our grain that's uh, how we and, can and use hemp green, seed to address know. food insecurities and all these things that we struggle with we know the plant can be split off seventeen thousand ways so let's delve into that 
Well, if you look at, you know, and you've heard me say it, the five-fingered take, the new take is clothe, feed, shelter, and heal. We've already covered heal, so let's talk about clothe, feed, and shelter. If you look at all the textile companies across North Carolina, the reason that they don't, you know, produce much of anything anymore is because no one here will buy it because it will be so expensive. expensive. Right. So with that whole thing, you know, convincing farmers that you're just going to make a minimal amount of money mm -hmm. for the next two to three years is a tough sell right now when you have CBD, the golden goose, in the mix. Right. But I think we got a better play on this because we have to tell farmers that there's something about growing fiber again and creating clothing and putting it on the tag and saying this was grown from, you know, 20 farmers from right. Catawba County. And what you do is you close the loop and you tell a new story there used to be this made in America, right. but everybody abandoned it, the larger companies, because they couldn't make any money with right, it. Right. The only person, and I, I think they can tell the story again, from plant to process to product on the fiber side is the farmer. Right. And then that company that comes in that's helping the farmer. And another thing that fiber is going to do, fiber is going to pull up all the bad stuff out your soil. I know. So that plant, they planted in Chernobyl uh, to take out radiation. This plant is the mother plant, and I'm an advocate for the plant. It took a lot of forces, big money forces, to ban this thing. And now they know that it's open again. Mm -hmm. So the big money forces, is it going to be new big money coming into hemp? Or is it going to be the old money that turned hemp off and now they're back, oh, okay, we can use it now? It might be a mixture of both. But I, I like where you're going because I, uh, I'm i fascinated with carbon farming, with folks that are planting hemp and getting carbon credits right. for how they're cleaning up the air and the soil right. again and remediating yeah, the soil. I mean, and there's even companies, Malcolm, that are purposely dumping chemicals and then planting hemp right. afterwards. But at least they're doing something about right. what they've taken away, all those uh, extracted tech, you know, uh, procedures where you take away from the earth. Right. At least it's putting something yeah. back. So that's why... One of the things that I, I'm cautioning people uh, in planting is make sure you get your soil tested. Yeah, big, um, big. Soil tested, just not just by the state, but by Volker and Amazon, the guys for heavy metals. Um, but now for a bigger field, would you suggest getting like one on one side, one on the other? Yeah, yeah different and, stuff can yeah, show up in different yeah, places. Yeah, and, and different stuff can show up in different places. And a lot, of, a lot of times, a lot of farms have done a lot of chemical farming, right? So a lot of chemical, a lot of pesticide farming. So you want to get that stuff tested because that's because the, the plant will suck up everything mm -hmm. right and it'll come out in your extract um and you don't want that if you don't if you go into that that level of extraction but let's let's talk about uh uh some fiber possibilities um i got a call uh from uh, a company that does hemp plastics and was talking about when we when we uh process our stuff for cbd they want the waste Right, so nothing gets wasted on the plant, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, "What are you gonna do with the waste? We're gonna make hemp plastic." Like, wow! Like, the, the tech I don't know who you're talking about, right? Yeah. The, so, I mean, it's it's all there. I mean, nothing's gonna, you you you're gonna make money from a seed to a waste product. And we got our first investment in North Carolina, Kentucky, uh, Kentucky's Sunstrand Technologies mm -hmm. is now building out in Lumberton. Right, right. So all those farmers can grow for fiber, and he's got all these hempcrete contracts. Right. And that decorticator can cut that hemp fiber up to a certain length to bond with that lime, to stuff in that wall system. And that, again, is another way you can Jobs, address industry, homelessness, veterans' villages. 
putting people back in the field and like you just said bringing it full circle using the full plant mm -hmm. and using that fiber plant in various ways and then you're actually addressing something that people just give a check to and you just and you're and what, you, what you're doing is you're, you're creating a new industry now i'm not saying all homes should be made out of hempcrete but they probably should um because they won't burn Mm -hmm. So California wildfires, guess what? I got a hemp crease house. My house will be still standing. And it cleans that outside air as and it, it comes through the exactly. wall system. Well, I mean, it's so, the technologies are, are you know, hemp's going to be everywhere. I mean, everything that can be made out of plastic can be made out of hemp. Mm -hmm. So as a hemp farmer, once CBD runs its course, maybe I pivot. You know, so those are the things that, that farmers need to be aware of and, and, and keep aware of, of the market. Well, it's going to be interesting and see, you know, what areas, what states embrace it. I've had calls from states that says, we're not going to plant this year, Blake. We're just going to watch everybody else fight it out like the gold rush and see how it shakes out. Well, and I mean, I know that's better for us because we've been at it three years now. Right. It's our third year in the program. And our program in North Carolina has been a, a good program, a fair program. Um, and, and letting people know, it, you know, it's nuanced. People have to have, you know, what they have to have, the requirements. And you just have to figure that system out of getting it. But now, I still get a call every day, though, Malcolm, from farmers, new farmers that want to get their uh, permit. And they're still worried about local law enforcement, right. the harassment at those levels. And I try to assure them that well, we can protect them in a way that the legislation, the statutes are there, the farm bill is there. But then when you talk to the rogue sheriffs of the world, that like to make an example and don't like to even recognize what's going on in the well, outside well, world. They have their own isn't, isn't, uh, We have a sheriff on the commission, don't we? We sure do. Yes, I mean, so, you know, we, we, we drop a name. But hey. do you still hear that? Yeah, all the time. People are, people are scared, you know, like, am I going to get locked up? I said, no, you put signs out. You, I went to my local law enforcement. You identified. Yeah, I went, hey, here's my hemp license. Brandy and I did that too. We brought is, the sheriff out. This is this is what we're going to be growing. We're going and we plan on doing it this year also. Just reinforcing. Hey, we're, we're getting bigger. <laughs> yeah, we're getting bigger this year. Um, and it sounds like you and your wife are maybe kind of building um, almost a eco tourist kind of education center once you get it growing that people can come on and much like Franny has we, done, see what 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 you're taking from you know plant to process. Right. We we want to be a, a complete vertical integration and have a uh, and teach people how to grow this plant. So you take different strains and you see how they work and, and your soil type and what's how you grow it and what you're producing on it. You know, the outdoor grow is the big grow, but uh, we plan on some indoor production, you know, greenhouse production, clones, sales, uh, and flower production. Because I'm getting calls from dispensaries who need flour. They do. I mean, it's amazing that... Um, Low hemp dispensaries are popping up all over. And to think that North Carolina sells CBD flour... Virginia and South Carolina does not. Right. They're putting it in their plans, by right. the way, both of them. But people ask me all the time, I don't understand, Blake, why people are smoking CBD flour. And when I explain to them, what I hear is folks with Crohn's and fibromyalgia, any sort of chronic pain. It's anxiety. just another anxiety. But it's another delivery method in a way that it can act quickly. Right. But sometimes, even for former smokers or whatever, just to have that motion right. and be taking yeah. something organic in a way that it's natural it doesn't have any chemicals in it. And to think about it, you're smoking it. Like, you smoked, right? If you smoked, now you're smoking CBD opposed to tobacco. CBD is not going to come with a warning label that you're going to get cancer. Right. You know what I mean? You might feel better. You know, that's going to be the warning label. You might feel better after this. If you have anxiety, you know, you might relax.
Isn't it interesting to think that here as we sit as the number one state in tobacco, which turning pretty much turned out to be a vice, we sit here talking about the crop that could turn out to be a savior. And that was vilified as it's a vice. Vil- it, absolutely. Who flipped the script? The, the, the plant flipped the script. She's like, y'all lied on me. So what do you think about a national standard? I mean, I know the, 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 farm, the farm bill said a point three, right? Suggested. So, USDA chair said yesterday, again, after every state talked about how Point three decarb is a huge issue. Right. If it brings about more THC, uh, Bob Crumley explains it best. It's like getting pulled over for a DUI and the officer saying, "Hey, let's just add a little bit more alcohol to right, this right, so right. we can get you." If you know the plant, you know that CBD and THC are a ratio thing. It's an entourage effect. Right. It's an entourage effect. So if you had that, say, point one or one point oh, yeah, of uh, THC, would you get high? No. Exactly. So why wouldn't they make the the measurement to where you couldn't get high? Well, and that's just it. We need more studies. If you read, you know, the research that's been done, um, we need more of that just to say right. really what we're talking about is this non-hallucinogenic range. But what you're doing is kind of tying our hands behind our back after you've legalized it in all right. 50 states. Right. But um, I think, again, we got to go back to North Carolina and our folks down at the legislature and say, we got to figure out what's going to make us different. I tell people all the time, we can take Article 50 and redeclare our agricultural commodity because we're not going back to tobacco. Right. Because Florida oranges, Georgia peaches, Virginia's for lovers, and Carolina hemp. Carolina hemp because the Tuscarora's name is hemp gatherers. <laughs> and you get all hands on deck when you say Carolina hemp. Once you declare it with Article 50, right. we can call it be like the Commissioner of Agriculture, the governor, like, hey, right. we've declared it now, right. so we have to I mean, uh, address it. I mean, it. this is where hemp grew, right? This is where hemp and tobacco grew side by side historically. And then what happened is you ban it, right? So what do you do when you ban something? You prohibit something. They take it underground, and the underground finds ways to keep it in small spaces. And produce it, you know, and that's what happened. And that's how you get Charlotte's Web. That's how you get the CBD cannabis, what we know now, from breeding out the THC because there was a need for children and veterans and like myself and other people who necessarily didn't want the THC, but for the children's sake. So, you know, it's real. It's It's real. real. It's here, right? Um, They villainize it, and now every day, it's a uh, it's a new thing that's coming out, a, a, a new article. You know, this is supposed to be a billion dollar crop in 1937. That was 37. Mm-hmm. What is it now? Mm-hmm. I mean, we think about the CBD. Just you know, 22 billion projected on you know, Rolling Stone, Google says 22 billion just in CBD alone. That's and like, back then, in the 20s and the 30s, they were talking about industrial hemp. Right. They were talking about rope and sales. and sales. They were projecting off the sales they were already doing, right. not to say that in the and, same sense. And now we're talking uh, CBD uh, hemp semiconductors, I heard. That's right. That's you right. know, uh, better than graphene. Like, we don't even know uh, the, the, the technical applications that's going to happen in the future. I mean, the jobs that are going to be, like NC State and, and A&T, these, these guys get their hands on this thing, and... The industrial applications are going to be uh, innumerable now that you have the kind of science that we have in 2019 opposed to what we had back in 37, 38. Yeah. And I think once we start planting this plant for North Carolina farmers, what we're going to find is that those farmers who are legacy farms are going to be able to pay some bills. And what I'm finding is a lot of young farmers are calling me like, my mom has, my grandma had land and I want to grow hemp now. You know, and they, and it's good because, like, you know, they say what only twenty one percent 
of farms have legacy plans, you know, passed down. So, you know, we're going to lose a lot of farmers. But if you you, you grow a, a, a plant like hemp, um, you want to get into it. And it's the next generation, those younger people, that are going to innovate on the opportunity. Right. And so I think that's why it's so important to, again, look to the community colleges, NC State and others, that how can we cooperatively offer you know guidance through education and classes right. if they're free and working with ag extension services because i mean farmers do want to learn how to do it the right way right you think uh this is what you were meant to do you know i was never one who had a desire to be like a doctor or a lawyer I've done various things in my life, um, soldier, army, uh, and now hemp farmer. Uh, and this is, you know, this plant, the reason behind it gives me a purpose, yeah. you know, to get out in the field and, 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 and see these babies growing, uh, whether indoor or outdoor, um, and know that I'm doing something that's good. Yeah, yeah, I right? agree, I agree. And then I can make, you know, and then I can make a living off of growing this plant, doing whatever, you know, processing it or, you know, and then seeing uh, folks with real results. This is our third year in North Carolina, and, and I think that everybody who's put plants in the ground, they were inspirations to guys like me who, were, you know, who caught the tail end of 2017. I was looking for it, and I was like, wait a minute, they planted already, wait a minute. And I caught on to it in 2017, and uh, it's just been last year, no juice, nobody was calling. And now it's, it's, it's taken off um, for the, the farm and, and the notoriety and, and just the we want to do good. We can put people back to work in this industry. Yeah. You know? And I almost gave up. I mean, I did after a couple of years of doing events and losing money. I didn't feel like anybody cared. For me, with a background in politics, public relations, media. You were I, perfect for the position. Well, it just, <laughs> I, wanted, just I, well, I wanted to find something that I could use all the tools in my toolbox, but I knew how valuable it was to find something that I could listen. Right. Right. listen to people again to figure out how I could best serve and play a role. And, you know, if anything, um, when I've gone out there, I've listened to farmers. And that's because what you it, have to do. You have to do it because it's, it's been a long time since people did. And what, and what I find is, you know, one of the, one of the big issues um, in, in the hip industry, uh, the, the new emerging hip industry is, is cost of entry. Right, so that's one of the things that that prohibits people from getting into it. How much does it cost for a clone? You know, um, eight dollars. Yeah, it's like you times know, a thousand. Right, times a thousand, or we want to do how many plants an acre? So it's about coming up with that plan to empower the farmer. So how can I get you into the hip industry? Because then I'm not farming by myself. The more farmers we bring into, like the answer to your question, is it good that we're you know allowing people to get into the hip industry? Why not? You know, people are going to go around it, you know, to, to do it. And some people are doing it. And also, you know, this plant has a long history. They use this plant to criminalize people, right? So we have to have an equity part. can't have people locked up for a plant that's legal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you got to have some kind of social equity into it. That, that, it doesn't make sense to have people locked in. Don't talk about is the benefits of THC. Right. Well, because THC, the, the high thing, they villainize the high. Would you agree it's a good thing we don't have marijuana legal here right now as we explore hemp? Is it a good thing? I'm just saying, don't you think it would be a difficult, head-butting kind of... The guys in Colorado told me the marijuana lobby and the hemp lobby are fighting against each other on pollination drifts. So, so what I think can happen is we have a unique opportunity to 
like I, I think with the, the laws have progressed, say from you know California back in '96 to, to from medical to Denver going, you know Colorado going fully legal, and then California following suit and other states following. Well, what what we can do is now, so they took the Denver law and they said, okay, we want to add some some of this Prop 64. It was a little better than what we saw previously. So what we can do is we can build off of that. We make him from the, from the bottom up. We make it a model program where people will, will, will want to get into this industry, where we make it inviting to come into this industry and say, hey, we have. If you need to sell your hemp, we we can sell your hemp. If you need seeds, we get. Our state is doing a great job. In doing that, but as far as legislation, we can triangle. We got some of the smartest people in the country here, so I think our law can be, you know, it, it can fit everybody because the triangle is truly an inclusive in, in North Carolina. Period. You know, because we got so many diverse industries, and this hemp industry in North Carolina, people know. I got calls from California, you know, guys want to come out, you know, because that's where the expertise in cannabis is at, and you're growing CBD like you're doing cannabis. So those guys are. This is a new frontier. You know, the East Coast is the new frontier. And we set our laws here straight and make them fair and equitable to everybody. I think everybody can win. Somewhere in all this, if someone sits back and says, you know, those guys in North Carolina are doing it best because they do organic. There's going to be a right. number of reasons right. that we separate ourselves from the rest of the pack. So, okay. you know, it's just important for us to keep on talking, for us to keep on connecting. we got to do this again. And education is the key to the farmer. Educate about the business, education about your product that you want to grow. Well, thanks, Blake. I appreciate you being here and, yeah, and doing too. this. Good, good job. All right, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Experience. If you like what you hear, please support our work. Rate us on iTunes, share us with a friend, and donate to the project at go.ncsu.edu forward slash give to PJ. TNE is a project of the Philanthropy Journal. Our managing editor is Sandy Sear. Our graduate editor is Kristen Gollihue, and our graduate assistant editor is Preston Whitwer. This episode was produced by Amarachi and Akaronye. Amarachi is the host and executive producer of the Fragmented Whole podcast. To learn more, visit amarachie.com. That's A-M-A-R-A-C-H-I-A dot com. Our theme music is an original score by David Mueller. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at www.philanthropyjournal.org. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Nonprofit Experience and subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play.